0: Welcome to the Graceway sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. I invite you this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles with you or around you, would you grab it and uh, turn to the book of Psalms. Uh, we are spending the summer in the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 19, Psalm 19. We're going to be getting there here in just a moment. Psalm 19. And last week we talked a little bit about those dog days of the summer. And as the week started out, man, we were in some dog days. I mean, it was like 90, 95. It felt like 110 with humidity and stuff. And then we got some rain coming. And and so it kind of makes this one seem kind of a little bit like it's just not... Uh, it doesn't seem like it's a dog day to day. It's kind of pretty. It's actually kind of pleasant um, outside. But it's those days where they're just long. You know, it's like the sun comes up early and it goes down late and there's not a lot of rain except for this week. And then there's 100% humidity on top of the fact that it's dry on your grass and stuff, especially in Kentucky. And it's those days that just seems to just like zap you of all of your energy, of all of your motivation, of all of your creativity and stuff like that. And for a person who is a fall winter type of person, um, this is the day that I just endure, man, because I just, I can't stand days like this. I wake up and I'm like, man, how hot is it going to be, you know? And so we talked about last week, what do we do to find relief on those hot days, on those dog days? Some of you like a nice big tall glass of iced sweet tea, or uh, if you're if you're like me and you're trying to watch your sugar, and obviously I'm a health nut. I mean, look at me. Um, I go with unsweet tea, or if you, maybe you like lemonade, or we talked about you know how the millennials they like frappes and they like you know all this ice guava whatever you know stuff like that from Starbucks or whatever. And so a lot of people will find like a nice cold beverage, or like a you know like Hawaiian shaved ice or ice cream or something like that to cool down from the inside, right? But then there's a lot of stuff that we do too outside of that to find relief on those dog days. Maybe sometimes uh, we like to just sit out on the porch after the sun finally goes down and feel the cool breeze come in if we've got a night with a cool breeze and just kind of just enjoy that. Maybe you couple that with your sweet tea or something like that. Uh, Other people will like to find rest under a big shade tree or something like that, you're like, hold on for a second, there is such a thing called air conditioning, which is the best thing to do on a hot day, is just get out, just get inside, man. Don't be stuck outside, and if you have to be stuck outside, a shade tree's nice. But then, there's the smartest people. Whoever it was who came up with the idea of swimming pools, man, god bless them, right? What a gift to society and to humanity. There's nothing like diving into a cool pool or a pond or something like that on a hot day that just kind of seems like it just it, you just immerse yourself in relief and comfort, right? It's almost like being back in mom's womb or something when you when you go underwater, it's like it's like everything the world just melts. Did I go too far? Did I go too far with the mom's womb coming? I did. Okay. All right. Just, I just, so you're getting what I'm saying, right? You're, you're, you're getting it. I don't need to go any further to describe this. Okay. Just, just making sure. Okay. Just making sure. All right. <laughs> so we talked about there's dog days of summer, but there's also dog days of the soul. There's dog days of the soul. And it's in the dog days of the soul where we really need to immerse ourselves in, in relief. And where do we find that? We find that in the word of God. We immerse ourselves in God, who he is, and what he has to say for us. It seems like all the other stuff begins to melt away as we take in his truth, as we take in who he is and his comfort. So it's those dog days of the soul that we need to go to the Word of God, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to read Psalm 19, 1 through 14, and we're going to focus closely on verses 7 through 14 this morning in the message. But if you would look with me in the Word of God, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and it says, The heavens declare the glory of our God. And the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge to us. There is no speech, there are no words, and their voice is not heard, but their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. What it's saying is the heavens don't necessarily speak to us, but they still send a message that God is there. And it says in the, in, verse, in, in the latter part of verse number four, it says, In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom that is coming from his home, and it rejoices like an athlete that runs a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and it circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And then it shifts into verse number seven from talking about the heavens declaring the glory of God into the word of God declaring the glory of God. The instruction of the Lord is perfect renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise or making wise the simple. The precepts or the statutes of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold or fine gold. And they are sweeter than honey that drips from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, warned by the words of God, and in keeping with them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional or hidden sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins and do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak through this word this morning. I thank you for the Psalms, that in the dog days of the soul, they're filled with refreshing. And help us this morning to learn the importance of diving into your word. When things get hot, when things get tough, when things get heavy, Lord, I pray that we've already established the habit of being in your word, but help us to run to that refreshing word of God and teach us from it this morning. Speak to us, open our hearts, and it's something that only we can do. We can only present ourselves and open our hearts to you. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. We're talking this morning about the fact that in the dog days of the soul, we can find refreshing in the person of of Jesus Christ, in the work that God the Father has done through Jesus Christ, in the work that God has done in the heavens around us, but also in the work that he has done through the word of God. The word of God has a work that if we will immerse ourselves in it, we will find relief and we will find protection, we will find strength, we'll find everything that we need in His Word, verses uh, one through six in, in Psalm one time one nineteen or in Psalm nineteen, I'm sorry, it gives us a holistic approach to God, a holistic view of God and what He wants us to know. In verses one through six, it talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God in nature. When you look out at creation, you are left with this idea: this is bigger than me, and something must have put it in place. Now we know that we live in a, in a society where many people kind of come to the idea that all of this happened by an accident. But the word of God tells us that there is a great design to creation, and so therefore, if you have a great design in creation, you must have a designer, and the Bible tells us that God the Father is our heavenly designer. And that everything has a purpose, and everything has a reason, and everything has a season for it. And so verses one through six tells us about something that we call general revelation. It's when I can look at the things around me and see evidence that there is a God above me and a God that is for me. But then we get into verses 7 through 14, and then we begin to see what we call specific or divine revelation. That the heavens declare the glory of God, but that very same God didn't just leave us to look at the skies, look at a tree, look at the ocean, and come up with the understanding of God. He also gave us his word, very specific, very divine and it is forever settled in heaven. So now we see this revelation, not of who God is, but now we see the revelation of who God is and what he wants and what he desires. So we get this complete holistic understanding of who God is and what he wants, and that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. The fact that God has given us his word is a blessing that we cannot describe. Because when we come to the dog days of the soul, the word of God is our relief. It's our refreshing. The Bible tells us that the word of God is our nourishment, it is what we grow upon. It is everything that we need. Unfortunately, we don't go to it like we should. On a hot day, the way you just kind of crave the relief of diving into some, some cool water or a refreshing pool, it's the same way our soul oftentimes feels when we're going through those dog days. I need to immerse myself in the Lord God Almighty, and I need to immerse myself in his word and let his word and his truth just wash over my spirit and do the healing work that it needs to do. Now, most of you probably think, oh yeah, you're telling me that when things get rough, I need to get into the word of God? No, duh. That's a no duh kind of moment, right? You mean to tell me that when things are hard and when my spirit feels dry and when I'm feeling like, you know, I'm just kind of disconnected from God, that it'll help me if I dive into God's word. Man, thanks, I'm glad I came out during this pandemic to hear something that I already knew. But the problem is that knowing what we should do and then doing what we know we should do are often disconnected. They're not one and the same. For instance, how many of you know it's not good for your heart to eat fried food? How many of you had french fries this week? See what I'm saying? There's your dose of conviction, right? Knowing what we need to do, and doing what we know we need to do, are not always one in the same, it's not always a given. So that no duh moment, we have to ask ourselves, am I doing what I know is so simple? Am I taking that simple advice of getting into the Word of God? Well, recent research has told us that that's not the case. The American Bible Society and Barna Research Group came together uh, at the beginning of this year, and they did what is called the State of the Bible they, they research every year and they research among Christians and among ev- evangelicals and people who call themselves Christians and they poll them and they basically measure Bible engagement among believers. We're not talking about among non-believers, we're talking about just among people who are in church, who say they love Christ, who say they're followers of Jesus Christ and they say, okay, how engaged are you with the word? Last year's report was pretty starkly scary. Last year's report said that only 5% of Christians that were surveyed said that they are what they would consider to be Bible-centered. Now that's the highest level of Bible engagement, that they are Bible-centered. And to be Bible-centered, the 5% of Christians were Bible-centered, it meant that they interact with the Bible frequently on a daily basis and they see proof that it is shaping their relationships in the world and also it is informing their life decisions. So if you're a Bible-centered person, what that means is, I get in the word daily, I have relationships, and when I'm, when I'm dealing with other people, the Bible comes into play with how I think and how I act, and it is also shaping the decisions that I make in the, in the world. That the Bible has a play into that. Five percent of Christians. Five percent. The biggest percentage, or the biggest chunk of Christians surveyed was on the lowest end of biblical engagement. So we had the, the smallest group was at the highest, the biggest group was at the lowest, and that is Bible disengaged. And here's what it means to be Bible disengaged. Though I interact with the Bible infrequently, if at all, and it has little to no effect on my life. And that group comprised 48% of people who say they are professing Christians. The rest of the survey landed somewhere in three other groups from, from Bible engaged to Bible friendly to Bible neutral. And apparently global pandemics don't help this at all because they did a real quick study during when, the, when the onset of the pandemic started and they began to ask people and they did a special study and found out that the percentage of Bible disengaged people went up to, in the 60% percentile. So the thing is, it's proven to us that though Christians know that the word of God is helpful, they know that the word of God is their lifeline here on earth, they don't go to it. Much less immersing ourselves, we don't even come close to it. Like last Sunday in Psalm 1, it said, it said that blessed is the man who is planted by the continual stream and life-giving source of Jesus Christ, we don't plant ourselves there so that we can grow. And then we oftentimes wonder, well, why am I going through this dry season? Why am I in this dog day that I'm in? It could be because we voluntarily disengaged ourselves from the relief that we are meant to have on a daily basis from the word of God. So this morning, I want to look at and consider three reasons why immersing ourselves in the Word of God on a regular basis, not just during the dog days, but every day, immersing ourselves in the Word of God is good for us. It's what we need to do, and it becomes one of the main things that we need to do as followers of Christ. So the first reason that we're going to look at, and this is going to be kind of, we're going to spend a lot of time on reason number one, is we go to the Word, we immerse ourselves in the Word because of the encouragement that the Word of God brings, the encouragement that the Word of God provides to us. When you think of the Bible, what do you normally think of? How would you characterize the Word of God? A lot of people will look at the Bible, and if they're at odds with God, they're gonna say, man, it's just a book of rules and regs, man. It's there to, to, to kind of like ruin my good time where it's full of a bunch of archaic things that nobody believes or thinks today in our advanced society. Some of you may look at the word of God and say, no, it's full of life-giving promises and truth. And if you're in that group, then you can probably agree with this first statement that the word of God is a source of encouragement for us. The word of God is encouraging. But when you think about encouragement we may not think about encouragement in the way the Bible encourages us because the Bible encourages us through exhortation. It will reveal to us where we're off base because the word of God is truth and if we're not in agreement with the word of God, guess who's wrong? It's us, it's not the word that's wrong, it's, it's us who is wrong. So in our text, David recorded six different names or descriptions as we looked at this in verses seven through nine. He records six different descriptions or six different ministries that the word of God will do. And the first one is found in verse number seven, the beginning part, and he's talking about restoration. Look at verse number seven, he says, the instruction or the law of the Lord is perfect. Now just last week when I said perfect means, most of the time it means complete or whole. This has a dual meaning here in the Hebrew. It's a different word for perfect. It means that it's complete and it's whole. It's lacking nothing, but it also means that it is blameless and it cannot be chipped away at. It's impenetrable. So he says the word of God, or the law of the Lord, is perfect, and the result, or the ministry that it does, is it's going to renew our life, or it's going to convert our soul. It encourages us towards righteousness. The law of God encourages us towards righteousness, or towards conversion in Jesus Christ. He said that it it encourages us, and the word there that we use for law is the word Torah, which means it's a guiding instruction. It means that it's a law or it's a command that is there, not just to give us a limit, but to give us a limit that guides us towards what's good for us. So when you think about encouragement, when you think about the law, is the law something that's encouraging to you? You know, like the laws of the land, I mean, how many of you find encouragement in the laws of the land? Let me, let me, give, you, let me give you an illustration. You've had a long day at work, it's been like one of the roughest days you've ever had. And all you want to do is get home. You had to work late and all this stuff. Your boss was like breathing down your neck and you just found out he had COVID. No, I'm just teasing. But you know, he's been breathing down your neck and all you want to do is get home. So you merge on new circle road to head home and you pull up and, and as soon as you get on the, the, you merge onto the highway, what do you see? You see the speed limit sign, right? Now, how many of you, when you look at that speed limit, say, man, I am so relieved to see that speed limit. That is just a blessing to my heart. Man, I've had a bad day, but that has made all my problems melt away to know that I've got this, this, this speed limit to stay under today. I'm telling you what, the Department of Highway Safety, they nailed it with this one. This is so encouraging to me as I drive down this road trying to get home. No, you don't do that. Why? Because laws, our, our understanding of laws is something that is there to hinder me. Hinder me. Especially in the, the, the climate we're in today. Don't tell me to wear something. Don't tell me to do this for, you know, I'm not even gonna go there. We'll just, we'll just leave it there. Because we like our individual rights. Don't, don't fence me in. But here's the law of God. The law of God is not just there to give me a boundary. The law of God is there to give me a boundary and a limit because going beyond that limit is going to harm me. That's really what the speed limit's doing too. But I don't feel very encouraged by the law when all I wanna do is get home and I gotta go like 40 miles on a road, 40 miles an hour like on a road that I should probably be doing 140. I'm just teasing. I don't, I don't do that. The laws that God give us place boundaries that direct us and instruct us towards hope in Jesus. So the greatest power of God's law, here's the thing about God's law. We look at laws as something that just condemn, but God's law, God's instructions, even though it does have the power and the holiness to completely condemn us and leave us condemned, It doesn't stop there. The law of God points to the fact that we can have restoration and repentance and salvation in our condemnation and it will then therefore remove our condemnation. The law of God doesn't stand just to convict us. The law of God stands to convict us and call us to redemption through Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the law of God. So we can find encouragement in his law. The second thing that he says is the word of God is a testimony of the Lord in, verse, in the latter part of verse number seven. He says the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy or it is sure, making the inexperienced to be simple or, or making the uh, inexperienced or the simple to be wise. So it encourages us through giving us direction. It encourages us through giving us direction. The Ten Commandments in the, anci- in the, uh, in the ancient Jewish days, in the Old Testament days, they, they referred to the Ten Commandments as the testimonies of the Lord. And they were known as impenetrable laws, the basis of all laws that that society were to be built on back in the ancient days. But the truth is, it's not just the Ten Commandments that are given to us by God. The Bible tells us that all scripture is given by God. And it's given to us to give us direction. This is what Paul tells Timothy in the New Testament. He says, and from a child, you have known the holy scriptures in verse number 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, and those holy scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished into all good works. So the word of God encourages us by pointing us in the direction of righteousness but it also gives us joy. And that is, that is a holy expression that we're supposed to have. And we find that in verse number eight. It says the precepts or the statutes of the Lord are right making the heart glad or it rejoices the heart. And during the dog days of the soul, we can often be down, we can be uncertain, we can be uncertain about how to get back into a good place spiritually. If you've ever been there where you're praying and you feel like it's just not getting higher than the ceiling and you just don't know where help's gonna come, you don't know how you're ever gonna feel the same again, the word of God, the precepts, the statutes will bring joy to our heart. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said, when he read the words in the New Testament, the just shall live by faith, here's how he wrote his reaction to that. He said it was like a light entering into paradise, which had previously been dark. He said, before those words broke upon my mind, I hated God and I was angry with him because not content to be frightening us as sinners by the law and by the miseries of our life, he still further increases the torture by the gospel, but when the spirit of God Help me understand these words. I felt born or revived again to understand that I now have the, all I'm asked to do is trust God and obey him. And it became this simple direction and it gave me joy. And then it also illuminates us. He encourages us through illumination in the latter part of verse number eight. He says the command or the commandment of the Lord is radiant, it is pure. It makes the eyes light up and enlightens the eyes. That word command is something that is appointed for a purpose. What that tells us about God is he doesn't put the commandments and he doesn't put what he puts in the word of God just for the sake of showing off his power and his authority. He puts those commandments in there because he has a holy purpose for us. And that purpose is based out of his love. Just like a parent who says don't play in oncoming traffic to a kid who doesn't understand that. That's what God does with us with his law. God's commands are pure and they lead to a life of unfettered from shame and regret. See, God, like a loving father, knows, hey, if you go down this road, you're gonna be left with shame and regret and consequences and I'm just trying to warn you ahead of time. So it's not someone who says, don't do this or I'm gonna be mad at you. It's someone who says, don't do this because I love you so much that I want you to avoid the shame and regret and the consequences that will come from it. So he illuminates us to that truth and then he says he transforms us through the word of God as well in verse number 9 the fear of the lord is pure or it is clean and it endures forever that's interesting to refer to the word of god as the fear of the lord this is a fearful book when you get in it you're exposed to some fearful moments when it exposes our sin and it exposes a reverence in our in our in our in our heart towards god the fear right here is the word of god is reverent towards its towards its writer when we get in the word of God, we do not find any, um, any indication that we should be disrespectful to our creator or that we should be at odds with him at all. It, it imposes a, 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 a reverence to him. Why? Because the word of God lasts forever. It's enduring. It can last through the test of time. It can stand the heat. It's like pure, refined gold that lasts forever forever. And then we see perfection. The ordinance or the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. So after we get this encouragement from the word of God, we then see that it breaks down into an example. Gives us an illustration of what the word of God should be valued as to a believer in verses 10 through 11. And we see now that we go to the word for the riches that the word gives to us. The encouragement that it offers to us, but also the riches that the word of God contains. So, kind of opens up to opens up to a, a mental picture of someone who is hunting for treasure. You like those National Treasure movies, or, or like when people are searching for treasure. What happens? Someone always usually finds a map. Who knew that there was a treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence? And all you needed was lemon juice and a hair dryer to find it. Who knew that? And then it's going to lead to these special glasses, you know, that you get to read it with. Ben Franklin, you know, like you know all this stuff. The movie's awesome. But it's just like that with the word of God. The word of God is like this treasure map that as you get in it and you understand its precepts, it points to another truth about God and then another truth about God that just fuels us to continue to grow in him. It's like uncovering treasure and riches and he uses this example of two very rare commodities in the ancient world of gold and honey. Now gold, still, still rare. Honey, not so rare anymore. You can go get it anywhere you want. You can actually go to Starbucks and ask for a honey pack and they'll give it to you for free. But back in those days, honey was a rare commodity that only the richest people and kings and queens got to have. It was the sweetest thing that was known on earth. So you had this, this understanding in the, and, and what the word of God says, the psalmist is saying the word of God, his precepts, his truth are like gold to me. Not just gold, but they're like purest gold. And pure gold is not yellow or white. Pure gold is almost reflective like a mirror. It kind of reminds us of what the book of James says, that the word of God is like a mirror that when we look in it, it reveals our imperfections. Because what we're seeing in that mirror is as we look in the word of God, we're not seeing ourselves, what we're seeing is the holiness of God and it reveals to us, anytime anyone is is exposed to the holiness of God, the immediate reaction is how unholy am I in the presence of that holiness. So as we get into the word of God in those dog days of the soul, we begin to get in the word and we begin to find, oh my goodness, I'm a man of unclean lips like Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm in need of a savior. And then we get into the word. We begin to find the grace that is extended to us. And God shifts from being this, this, this fearful judge to being a gracious lawgiver full of mercy and compassion. It's pure gold. It reveals his nature to us. Why was the Why was the word of God so precious and valuable to the psalmist? Because getting into the word of God will cause our hearts to be produced with integrity, with loyalty, with uprightness, with purity, with growth and righteousness. He says it's like the purest gold that you can find. But then it's also like honey that's just dripping right from the source, from the honeycomb. Honey was the sweetest substance, as I said, known to the ancient world. This speaks of the sweetness of feasting on God's word of getting in and being nourished by it. Now, now, let's go back to that stat. Only 5% say, hey, I'm feasting on God's word. 48% are saying, I'm starving myself of it. And then we wonder sometime why the church is seeking for its identity in the culture that we're in today. We wonder why we hear reports of churches closing their doors, ministries that are shutting down. And this is before Pandemic. We're starving ourselves of the richness that we need. See, honey was something that to a boy, and we talked about this in in another message not too long ago, only the richest people could get it, that they also kept a really big reserve of honey in the temple and it was there for the kindergarten boys as they would start Torah school. They came in on the very first day and their orientation was they're given a spoonful of honey And they said, hold that in your mouth. And as they held that in their mouth, they would say, the word of God is sweeter than this honey that you'll taste. And at that moment, that five-year-old kid, that's the sweetest thing he's ever tasted. And what five-year-old kid do you know that doesn't like sugar? But they said, that's the sweetest thing you've ever tasted in your life, man. As his brain is popping open like, man, I gotta have more of this. They say, this is not even as sweet as the word which you're getting ready to study. But for many of us, the word is not sweet. The word is a drudgery. And that's why we struggle. He gives us this riches also provide luxury of knowledge. He says, in addition, your servant, in verse number 11, in addition to the riches that I get, your servant is warned by your instruction. This refers to the illumination that we get from the Holy Spirit. See, a beautiful thing that happens as I preach the word, and why we're so committed to expository preaching here at Graceway, is that it doesn't fall on me to make you like it. It doesn't even fall on me to make you take it in. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. What I must do is properly expose the word of God and the word of God and the Holy Spirit does its work. Because in addition, your servant is warned by the word of God. The warning here is like direction, like a sign that says detour because there's a cliff ahead. There's danger ahead. It's different from a speed limit, which you look at you're like, man, I just can't go as fast as I want to. It changes it when you see a sign that says, hey, the road stops ahead, so you're going to be in trouble if you keep going. And then there's the reward of protection that comes. He says, and in keeping them, in the latter part of verse number 11, there is an abundant reward. What's the reward of the word of God? I believe it's the security that comes as we get to know our God, as we get to know our Savior, and knowing his word and his will and obeying his will, it gives us confidence and security of knowing he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. We are his child. He is over us, he is our Father. So security that comes when we open up the news, or we turn on the news and we see when it seems like the world is burning down to know that he's still got the whole world in his hands. Or when there's a, there's, a, there's a virus that's going around that we don't know what's gonna happen that we know the one who does know. And that we can trust him. And that in all of us, in all of it, he doesn't promise deliverance, he promises us his presence, which is security enough. See the security that comes from that, and then also the security of knowing that as I stand redeemed before God, I stand redeemed and no longer condemned by my sins. I stand redeemed by a law that once condemned me, but by grace I came to Jesus Christ, and now I stand redeemed. So we need to immerse ourselves in the word for the encouragement that we receive and for the riches we receive, but then also and lastly, we need to immerse ourselves in the word after being encouraged, after gaining riches that nothing else in this world offers, we need to engage with the word because of the work that it will do in us. Now, it's a hit to our pride to say, there needs to be work done on me, you know, uh, just recently, as we've been, we've been kind of decluttering and going through some things at our house, and so we've seen some pictures of days gone by. I looked a lot better days gone by than I look present day. And I'm thinking, man, there's some work that needs to be done here, and it's going to be hard work. None of us want to admit that. None of us want to admit that we're still a work in progress instead of a finished product. And understand this, that as we're saved, when we get saved... We are still a work in progress. God is still doing a work of sanctification in us to glorify himself through us. Yes, he has saved us and redeemed us for heaven, but that's the eternal destination for the present. For the present, we need God every day, and we need him to recreate us and sanctify us and shape us and mold us in his image for his glory. And where do we find that instruction? We find it in the word of God, and God needs to do work, and God does work through his word in us. So just like diving into a pool on a hot day. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You dive into a pool on a hot day, there is something that just kinda happens all over, man. You just, just relief just sets you like, ah. Oh. Now if you dive in too cold, it's, man, it's, you're like, what did I just do? You know, what is this, the waters of the Titanic? But as you get used to it, it begins to just relax you. It begins to calm you down, it makes the, those things melt away. The word is not just designed for us to come to. See, here's the thing. Some of you people that go to the pool and you go up to the edge of the pool and you do this, you just go like this and you go, ooh, it's cold. I don't understand you people. Just dive in. You're gonna get in anyway. Right? This is what the word is, this is what we have to do with the word. We have to dive into it headlong and say, you know what, there's gonna be some places that I I don't understand. There's gonna be some places that I have questions. There's gonna be some places that challenge me, but that's good for me because Quite honestly, the reason that we often find ourselves in the dog days of the soul is because we have stagnated. We've not been challenged by the truth of God's word. We've kind of set ourselves on living in an echo chamber that only reinforces what we already thought rather than being challenged to grow and be conformed to the image and the mind of God. So what it does is it reveals our sin as we grow. So how is that encouraging work? We're going to look at that. It reveals our sin as we grow. It's the, one of the pieces of work that it does. Look at verse number 12. It says, who perceives his unintentional sins or his errors? What it's basically saying is there are sins within us. There are things in us that are unpleasing to God that as we grow in him, God reveals that to us and we begin to deal with that through the blood of Christ. God's already forgiven us of it, but as we are exposed to it and we find out, you know what? This is something that is not as pleasing to God. So then we begin to grow in that. It reveals our sin. It's a good thing that it does that. So well, hold on for a second. If as I get into the word of God, I'm just revealed of things that, I'm, <laughs> that I need to change, why don't I just live in ignorance? And ignorance is bliss. And that's what a lot of people kind of take. Like, they get challenged with the word of God. They'll kind of come to a confrontation with and They close it up and say, you know what? I don't want to go any further. But going further leads to further Grace leads to further understanding of God's goodness. You see, because the more we expose ourselves to a holy God, the more we reveal to ourselves just how unholy we really are. So you don't forget that God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. And we are not condemned by the number of sins we commit, we're condemned by the nature of our sin that we already have. So it's like we're guilty of it all. He says if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. So it's best that we understand So the work of the scripture reveals our sin and then points us to to deliverance because yes, God is just, but he is also loving because God's loving nature is to keep revealing our sin, to keep reinforcing to us our need for forgiveness. It's a constant calling to understand without God, I'm hopeless, which is the best place we can be as a child of God, completely and totally dependent upon him and his grace. So he Reveals our sin as we grow, but then also in verse number 13, we see that he delivers us from sin's grip. The word of God will deliver us from the grip of sin. He says, keep your servant from willful sins and do not let them rule over me. Nothing's gonna make the dog days of the soul feel heavier than the weight of carrying unforgiven sin. The best thing that we can do when conviction falls is deal with it. The best thing we can do is when we look into the word of God and we find, hey, man, this is challenging me is to find a way to come in accordance with God so it no longer challenges, but it breathes life into me. It delivers me from sin's grip. You remember that illustration that we opened with, and we're gonna be done here in just a second. Remember that illustration we opened with about driving on New Circle Road, the speed limit? All right, y'all still not encouraged by a speed limit, right? Y'all still with me, right? Okay, so let's say, okay, so you're driving down the road, you're not feeling all that encouraged by the speed limit, and you're just like, you know what, forget the speed limit today, I got to get home. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens? The lights light up behind you, you hear the siren, you pull over on the side of the road, you've been pulled over. How encouraged are you at that moment, right? Right? And so you're sitting there and he's like license and registration the officer says and you know you give your license and registration they take it back to the car and they start doing whatever it is they do and after a few minutes they come up and they say okay uh, I've clocked you at going 25 miles an hour over the speed limit uh, you're some sort of speed demon you shouldn't have been doing that what's your excuse I have no excuse you know and then they say okay here's your ticket you've been fined this much money uh, because you were going this much this many miles over the over the speed limit your uh, your insurance company may may you know ding you you may get points off your license you're wondering how I know so much about the process, aren't you, right? They're doing all that. You're not feeling encouraged at that moment, right? He hands you the ticket, and he says, here's your court date if you want to contest it, but I really wouldn't, because you are guilty as charged, but then he says, but the city of Lexington has decided to start this program to kind of give drivers a second chance, you see, what they've done is they've given me an account of money, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay your ticket today out of my pocket, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, all you need to do is show up on that court date, and we're going to stand before the judge together, and I'm going to tell the judge when he looks at your ticket, I'm going to tell him it's been paid in full by me, and because it's been paid in full by me, that's going to tell the judge that he needs to wipe everything from the record, So this isn't even gonna show up on your license. Your insurance company's not gonna ding you. There's not gonna be points taken off of your license. It'll be like it never happened. Matter of fact, if you take this deal today, it never did happen. Now are you encouraged? You see why? Because in the face of the law, all you get is condemnation and conviction. But in the face of the mercy and the grace of the lawgiver, you stand redeemed. This is why the law of God and getting into the law of God is so important because it continually reminds me what a sinner I was, but how gracious God is. It reminds me that I need Him every moment of every day. So, as we close out this morning, we have to continue to take this in. The face of the law, I'll only stand condemned, but in the mercy and the grace of the lawgiver, I can, even though I shouldn't, I can stand redeemed. And that's the point of the law. Immersing yourself in God's word is tough, especially during the dog days of the soul. When you're already feeling down, why do I expose myself to more of understanding where I fall short? It's because as I fall short, I look up and I find the one who pulls me up and pulls me close to him. And then what happens is my relationship and my fellowship with God is redeemed. Look what it says in verse 14, it's beautiful. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. And then we find this, my rock and my redeemer. The word of God brings us a fellowship with him that we can't have otherwise. So I go to church every time the doors are open. That's wonderful. But God has given us this beautiful book, his word, that instructs us and guides us every time we open it deepen your fellowship with a daily relationship with his word. And it'll change your life. But I want to focus on that my rock and my redeemer as we close out. Question this morning is, is he your rock? And is he your redeemer? In a world where the sands shift all over the place, we need to find a good solid anchor to stand on. And Jesus Christ is that rock. He's the rock of our salvation. And not only will that rock, that unchanging word of God, be our anchor, but it becomes our redemption too. And the question this morning as we close out, if you're in, in this room or if you're watching out there in cyberspace, have you, are you standing upon the rock? Have you been redeemed by the rock? See, because the whole point of the law of God is it exposes our need for the rock it exposes the fact that we are in this pit and we're sinking constantly into sin but because of God's grace he'll pull us out and set our feet upon a rock and save our save our souls he'll redeem us why because in the face of the law we stand condemned but in the face of the mercy and grace of the lawgiver, we can be redeemed are you redeemed do you know Jesus Christ is your savior that's the most important thing Getting into this book without having his son, without having the Spirit of God illuminating us, is going is, is it's a good idea, but it's tough. But when you get into this book and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, it opens up a whole new level of understanding and a whole new level of fellowship with your Creator. All of a sudden he's talking to you. All of a sudden, he is feeding you. And those dog days of the soul begin to melt away. So this morning, the question is: do you know Christ? Do you know him? Are you in his word? And the question this morning is, do you need to commit to dive in further? Do you know him as your savior? Is he your rock? Is he your redeemer? And if he is, are you committing and will you commit to live by the precepts of his word? Will you commit to the encouragement that it offers? Will you commit and and enjoy the riches that we find in it? And will you let it do the work that it needs to do? So as we bow our heads and we close our eyes and we go to a time of of contemplation and response, what's your response to the word that was shared today? Not to me, not to the preacher, but to the word that was preached. What's my response to that? Is he my rock? Is he my redeemer? If he's not, let today be the day of salvation. we come to the conclusion of this week's message, we pray that it has ministered to you and challenged you from the word of God. We would love to hear from you. If you would like to connect with us, you can go to www.gracewaylex.org, click on contact us, and we would love to have a discussion with you about your faith. Thank you. We'll talk to you again next week.